What's up, friends? And before we hop into the show, you guys know how supporting local business is in our blood, and that's why I need to tell you about Denver Rubber Company and... It may not be what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming, and we've already had a taste of it. You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snow plows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back and it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades and we even witnessed machines that can cut material that are used in bulletproof vests. Remember, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all and you can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DNVR. So be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them today at drcfirst.com slash DNVR and make sure you tell them who sent you. All right, Mace, let's hop into the show. Broncos Country is sitting in the south Best part of the weekend Hugging a perfect stranger As they become a friend Having a good time when the orange and blue W-I-N Tuning in every day with the good folks down at DNVR Welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast. I'm your host, Zach Stevens, joined by my good friend, Andrew Mason. Before I hear what Mace has to say about Phyllis Rivers, I got to tell you about our presenting sponsor on this podcast, which is, of course, the delicious, smooth Strava Craft Coffee. It's a perfect blend of delicious coffee, delicious caffeine boost, and, of course, all of the benefits of the magical CBD, and it's magical because it helps with anything. It relieves aches, pains, anxiety, migraines, and so much more. So many people at the DNVR DNVR office swear by it, and we think that you'll love this. So if you want to get in on this delicious, magical coffee, make sure you use the code DNVR20 to receive 20% off your purchase. And as Strava says, drink deeply live fully. And Mace, in Mexico City, Philip Rivers was not living fully. No, he wasn't. But first of all, I want to thank everybody that reached out and nominated us for the House of Pod Best Colorado Podcast Award because we are a finalist Yes, for the yes. Best Colorado Podcast. This is, this is it's not just sports podcasting. This is everything. Yes. Covering all subjects. We are the only sports podcast in the final five so thank you very much we're proud of what we do we feel like we do have at least the best sports podcast in colorado if not the best podcast overall and if the dnvr sports podcast or the denver sports podcast nominated for best new podcast so thank you for pumping us up if you reached out to house of pod putting your nominations for that we really 
appreciate that. Pretty cool to uh, be in the final five on this one. It is. It is awesome. And Mace, like you said, the only sports podcast out there, of course, the only Broncos podcast out there. And it is so cool that we're in the final uh, to be the best podcast in Colorado. And that is thanks to you guys. We asked you to help us out and you guys came through. So I truly can't thank you enough. We found out late last night and I've just had a smile on my face ever since. So thank you guys so much. We are in the final five. And so when we hear how you guys can help us get to the finals, we will certainly pass that or, or win it all. We will certainly pass that on. So, but thank you guys so much. That's why you're the best. We, we say it every day, and you guys are the best. Yes, you are. We really appreciate everything you bring to the show, all your comments, and just listening every day, making us a part of your day, wherever you go, whatever you do. And we hear from people saying you help us with our commute. I'm out for a jog, out for a walk on the treadmill, you name it. Yep. It's really fun to be a part of your day, and uh, we humbly thank you and, and mean it from the bottom of our hearts. Now back to the topic you broached. Philip Rivers. <laughs> you know, last night, a friend of mine who is a Chargers fan... Oh, rough time. ...was talking about this. First of all, he said... I wouldn't mind seeing the Chargers move to Mexico City. They had to go all the way down there to finally have something resembling a home field advantage. And it wasn't all that great a home field advantage because there were plenty of Charger fans. There were some theories popping around. There was one I saw out there on the Twitter sphere that suggested that, simply put, similar to how people move around in the U.S., people move around in Mexico. And you have a lot of people from the Tijuana area who have relocated to the Distrito Federal and are there just like people move from Denver to other places. That would make some sense because a key element of the Chargers fan base always was the fans that they got that crossed the border every Sunday. Yeah. That's a big part of the San Diego slash Tijuana metropolitan area. Of you can course. stay in the AFC West. Travel uh-huh. isn't as, as difficult. I think. We could all live with that. And certainly the Broncos would probably have a leg up on most teams because they already play at 5,280 feet. <laughs> yep. The elevation down there is north of 7,000 feet. Oof. So a little bit of a big deal. And that's why we saw Patrick Mahomes throwing 70-yard passes. <laughs> yep. But later in the game, my friend, the Chargers fan, texted me this message. Is it me or is Philip Rivers having a Peyton Manning-like <laughs> drop-off? And I just responded, it's not just you. Mm. Mm. Now, what's interesting is every so often he can uncork one, like that deep pass down the left sideline to Mike Williams, which, by the way, should have been ruled inbounds, yep, not out of bounds. The clock so should not have stopped on that play. Yep. They goofed on that one. Yep. But help the Chargers. Right. They tried to, and then Phillip Rivers got in his way. Yeah. The reason I point that out is saying, okay, every now and again, he can still throw a great ball. But as I'm watching most of his passes outside the numbers, they're floating. They're dying. That interception there on the pass two was Austin Eckler, right? Yep. On the last drive? Yep. There's nothing on that ball. That was it's just a bad decision a bad and a bad read. ball. Such a bad read. 
It, they and and uh, I think it it was right after the play. They they said the chart or the Chiefs defense has been confusing the heck out of Philip Rivers, and it's true. That's how you throw four interceptions. They confused Philip on that play. Phil knew where he was going to go before the ball was snapped because he thought he read the defense well. He read it incorrectly, and it turned in to a pick instead of a game tying or potentially game winning touchdown. It's true. It's so Mace. Philip Rivers' passer rating, by the way, after his recent struggles, it now stands at 85.5. You're going to compare this to Joe Flacco or something, aren't you? Well, (laughs) speaking of Joe. In terms of quarterbacks with at least least 50 attempts, it places him just behind Jeff Driscoll. (laughs) Who? Started for the Lions last couple of weeks. Yep, yep. Started against the Broncos last year when he was in Cincinnati. Yep. And just above Josh Allen. Who? And no. Joe Flacco. Oh. And Brandon Allen. <laughs> this is the company he's keeping right now. By the way, if Matthew Stafford doesn't recover from his injury, we might see Jeff Driscoll down the line. And we're going to see Josh Allen on Sunday in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. A lot of familiar names. And how about this, Mace? Uh, typically, I'm the one pointing to passer rating. You're the one pointing to QBR. little re- role reversal mm-hmm. here. Philip Rivers on the season, 46 QBR, of course, average is 50, which a lot of quarterbacks are going over the average mark nowadays. 46 is 23rd in the league, so bottom 10. Where's Brandon Allen on that, by the way? Oh, boy. I don't I don't have the full list up here. I'll pull that up. But, Mace, because we know, we hope Joe Flacco is not the future here, we know Brandon Allen certainly isn't the future. Oh, he had a better rating Sunday than he did against the Browns, a QBR. Brandon Allen has 62.6 QBR and a 61.9 passer rating. The rare oh game in gosh. which you have a higher QBR than a passer rating. So basically, it was inverted. That doesn't happen often. No. So what's his season QBR? 53.8. In other words, better than (laughs) Phillip Rivers. Better than Joe Flacco. Phillip Rivers, 15 touchdowns on the season, 14 picks, and of course, seven of those in the last two weeks. Mace, Phillip Rivers, there's been a lot of rumbling, even before these past two weeks, that the Chargers could very well be done with him. After this season, after the past two weeks, I'm sure that rumbling's only getting louder. Do you think the Chargers should move on from him? I think they should, but what is interesting is what do they do? Because, you know, a couple weeks ago we had the discussion about Tom Brady. Yes. Give me Tom. Tom Brady in Los Angeles. (laughs) Now, that being said, Tom Brady's perceptible but not obvious decline continues the pace and he's substantially older than philip rivers but i'm just saying tom's also admitting it yeah i'm just saying that if tom brady does not retire and i think retirement is a possibility for tom brady even though you have his resident quack alex guerrero saying he can play to 46 47 (laughs) alex guerrero also claimed he had cures for cancer that proved to be bogus and resulted in him uh, being sanctioned by the federal trade commission Like you said, quack. Exactly. Total quack. Anyway, Phillip Rivers, 14 picks now. That's the most he's had since 2016 when he threw 21, but he also threw 33 touchdowns that year. 15 touchdowns, 14 picks so far. And you can only blame but so much on 
the shredded offensive line. The O-line actually had a decent game last night. It was mostly on Phil Rivers. There were bad reads. Yeah. Terrible so reads. Should the should the Chargers be in the quarterback market? Absolutely. The question is whether they're going to be in the free agent market or the draft market. You know that the league if Tom, it would love to have Tom Brady in Los Angeles if he's not in New England. To open up a new stadium? Yes. Oh, absolutely. This is something where I could see the NFL guiding a big name to Los Angeles if Philip Rivers is not the Chargers quarterback in 2020. The Rams are struggling, but they're not struggling with a fan base right now in getting attention. The Chargers couldn't be more opposite. If you get if you get Tom Brady on the Chargers team, boy, that stadium's going to be lit week in and week out. You think a lot of people would jump on the Chargers no. bandwagon? <laughs> I think it would be temporary. I think you'd have Patriots sure. fans who made the Chargers their number two team, yeah. similar to how there were a bunch of people in the Midwest who jumped on the Broncos bandwagon yeah. when Peyton Manning joined <laughs> Denver. Yep. A lot of people in the South as well, because that's another region where he's exceptionally popular. I think yep. you'd see something like that. Yep. Now, Mace. So you'd see the jerseys that are half Light blue and half navy blue with yep. the 12 on them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. So, I hate those, by the way. Make up your minds. <laughs> I agree. Unless you're a parent, then I can understand. Yeah, if you've got kids on two teams. <laughs> I saw somebody Sunday wearing a custom half Broncos, half Vikings jersey. For who? Kyle Slaughter? had his name on it. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah, so it was custom just for him, Jordan I guess. Jordan Taylor? Gary Kubiak? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And Kyle Slaughter's a cardinal now. Yep. <laughs> Did you know that they were trying to do a hashtag with Kyle Slaughter, Slaughter and Vikings Nation Country, whatever it is, back this summer when he was having some good preseason oh, moments? what was it? Slaughter Saturday. Oh, my gosh. Their radio <laughs> announcer, Paul Allen, who, by the way, has – more Dewey defeats Truman moments in a game than I can possibly count, having listened to that broadcast on Sunday, would yell, Slaughter Saturday! <laughs> Awful. You really appreciate Dave Logan after you listen to Paul Allen Oh yeah, for a game. He's oh, horrible. Yeah. When you listen to many other broadcasts around it, you really do appreciate Dave. Yeah. So, Mace, if Philip Rivers is not in Los Angeles next year, I, I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> You know where I'm going with this. You're, you're waving your hands already. Should the Broncos consider him? Consider him, yes, but I don't think they should sign him. Uh, so what's the difference? The difference is, I think not only is he fading physically, I don't know that with how many kids at home now? <laughs> I don't know if he has more picks or kids. Has Does he have a baseball team or a football team? He's long since passed the point yeah, where he has a basketball team. Joe Flacco team. has a basketball team. <laughs> yep. Chris Harris almost has a basketball team. I think he's approaching a baseball team. Maybe if, if he— Nine. He's got nine. He's got oh a baseball team. Oh, my goodness. That's grown quite a lot just in the past few years. Well, <laughs> these things tend to happen. I, mean, I don't want to get all uh, into the weeds here, but uh, <laughs> he and his wife are advocates of the Catholic practice known as natural family planning. <laughs> now, my wife is Catholic. I'm not really all that religious, but because I married her and we got married in the church, I had to go through the 
like the Catholic premarital thing yep. about you know, and <laughs> and one of the things they put out there is an actual family planning. Um, first preach, of preach mace. First of all, <laughs> they get to a part about mucus, and oh wow, here's the deal. What road are we going down now? Well, <laughs> I can't keep it together because. The people that are teaching us, they won't stop saying mucus over and over here in a church. And I'm trying to keep a straight face, desperately contorting. And then finally, I just break up in hysterics and I go down the hall. And the couple across the table from us, they were they, they the the male was nearly in the same spot that I was. And he couldn't. He kept it together. I couldn't. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, you keep saying it over and over. And I'm thinking like, stop saying mucus. (laughs) Anyway. So I know your trigger word now. Mucus. (laughs) (laughs) Man. It was something incongruous about hearing it in a church. Um, I'm sure. Yes. That just, it struck me and I was overcome by it. So anyway, Philip Rivers and his wife are advocates of natural family planning. I'm not sure how terribly well it's working. Of course, it could be their intent to have a baseball team, a football team. Good for them. But my point on Philip Rivers is if you're Tiffany Rivers' wife, do you want him going to another city, uprooting, starting over? They're pretty well dug in in San Diego to the point where when the team moved, he didn't. He has a tricked-out SUV that he takes back and forth from San Diego County every day to get to the Chargers facility. And now he's going to uproot everybody, move to another city for at least a couple years. I don't see that. I think if Phillip Rivers isn't a Charger, I think he's going to retire. I can see that. But let's say he doesn't retire. Do you want him? Uh, Understanding that we find out this year Drew Locke's not the guy. Well, here's why I would roll the dice on him. Oh, what? Yeah. I thought I was going to have to argue against this. No. Here's the deal. If if Drew Locke isn't the guy, I would consider rolling the dice on him, A, if he were all in. You have to find out if he's all in. I suspect with a lot of the family responsibilities, which are beyond what exists for most players. Again, when you have nine kids, it's just a different ball game. I suspect that while he's in decline, it may be the end, but we've seen a lot of examples of where quarterbacks in their mid to late 30s look like they hit a wall, and then they went around it and they got a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Now, it would still be kicking the can down the road because I don't think if Phil Rivers finds his way back, he has more than two years. That's fair. Okay? Let me make that clear. I don't think he's going to be playing into his 40s like Tom Brady, but there was a moment where it looked like Drew Brees had hit the wall. It looked like Peyton Manning had hit the wall right before his neck injuries yep. or his neck surgeries and all that that kept him out for the 2011 season. It looked like Tom Brady hit the wall. There was even a hit-the-wall moment for Dan Marino. Joe Montana looked like he was done with the neck problems in San Francisco. Then he goes to Kansas City, takes them to what until last year was their only AFC Championship game appearance since the the AFL-NFL merger. My point being that there are some examples of quarterbacks who looked like they had hit the wall 
but then moved around it and had another two to three good years to where I would at least think about Phillip Rivers. I think with Tom Brady, we're now on the other side of that hit-the-wall moment. We're seeing the real decline, just like we saw the real decline with Peyton Manning here. Miami saw the real decline with Dan Marino back in 1999. So this is just going by the history of elite quarterbacks. Give, I give it a thought. Give me Philip Rivers. I don't care about the 15 touchdowns and 14 interceptions. Now, let's say he continues on this pace of having two or three touchdowns in a two-game stretch and seven interceptions for the rest of the season. Then yeah, I'm probably pumping the brakes a little bit on Philip Rivers. But just like with Derek Wolf, just like these guys, I don't want to buy high and sell low. I, I want to take a collective sample. I think Phillip Rivers is going to bounce back. I'm not too worried about the stretch he's had. I don't think he hit the wall physically. I think he's just had really bad mental mistakes, and I think he's pretty frustrated with what is being surrounded by him on that offensive line. Well, here's the thing to consider. Would he be frustrated with what with what surrounds him on the Broncos' offensive line? Sure, but you go so out and get a first. You get a tackle in the first you'd round. You'd basically be saying, okay, because if we're paying Phillip Rivers, we're not going to be able to afford to get a proven left tackle to plug Anthony Costanzo in there. We're going to have to go left tackle and then probably interior O-line yep. with the first two picks. Yep, exactly. The then- other thing... Are you willing to change up the scheme? Phillip Rivers is mostly a shotgun quarterback. He can do stuff under center. He has. But at this point in his career, he's mostly a guy who wants to work primarily in the shotgun. Getting a look at things from there. Could you plug Phillip Rivers into this scheme and have success? You'd have to adjust it. You, you, would, you would have to. And maybe but I would have, they? Maybe I, uh, I mean, this, look what they tried. Right. Look, it wasn't... Uh, Rich Gangrello, who was here in 2015. But look what they did with Peyton Manning. They tried to jam him in. Yep. And then you recall that Chiefs game in week two. They fall behind 14-0, and they just say, screw it, and they start running the old offense. And lo and behold, they start moving the ball. Yeah, you can't do that with any, any veteran quarterback. you got to let them run their system, especially if they're one like Phillip Rivers or Tom Brady or in that, that route. If you're bringing in Jameis Winston, I'm right. trying to plug him in the scheme because I think he can make the transition. Yep. Philip Rivers, I'm not seeing somebody making an easy transition into this scheme as it stands right now. Right, exactly. And Mace, with this team, you don't need a quarterback that's going to be in the top five of everything. But you need a quarterback who doesn't make the mistakes like Philip Rivers is making on a regular basis. And yeah, the interceptions have spiked, but we've seen the bad throws in games against the Broncos the last few years. Sure, I and mean, the bad decisions. Yeah. He lost the game in L.A. last year because of a brain-dead decision on third down. He yep. should have just eaten the ball right then and there. Instead, threw it, incomplete, stopped the clock, gave the Broncos the time they needed to come back, if he just eats the ball, takes a sack right then and there, or you know, does a self-sack, he can do that at this point in his career. It's fine. The Chargers win the game. So he still makes some bad decisions. I mean, there's a definitely a dynamic element to him. The other thing is, I'm sure people are listening to this right now and saying, I hate Phillip Rivers. Let me tell you this. If Philip Rivers had been drafted by the Broncos back in 2004, you would love him. Philip Rivers, I think there's a hate because he's a rival. He's taken some things from you over the years. 
You've gone against him twice a year. Phillip, That's where the hate comes from. Philip Rivers is the classic, the classic example in all of sports of if he's not on your team, you hate him. Would Broncos fans embrace him after years of hating him? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. So this this isn't like Joe Flacco where there was no embrace. You think Bronco oh. con- Broncos country would embrace Philip Rivers in in a heartbeat? Because Mace, I have a feeling if he were to move, if he were to join the Broncos, he would be all in. This so is a you, guy. He's moving his family up here. Sure. I mean, that's part of being all in. Absolutely. Joe Flacco did move his family out here. Absolutely. Philip would do that. This is a guy that built a van, custom van, like you said, so that he could be studying film. He had a driver, and he's all in on football. This guy loves football, and Mace, the most important thing that he would bring. But he loves also being there for his family, which is what, and doing the right thing by his family, which is why he would not uproot them from the place they've come to call home. But Mace, the most important thing about Philip Rivers is he would be the leader that this Broncos team has so desperately been begging for. Derek Wolf this offseason, just begging for some leadership from the quarterback position. Phillip Rivers would bring that. He would bring the fire on game day. He would bring the passion. It would be something that every single player and every single fan would rally around. And like I said, yes, the, the Broncos can't afford the mistakes at the quarterback position, but this would be the guy to be able to guide the offense to do well enough with the with he would he would steady the ship on offense and then you do keep the defensive pieces around because your window like you said Mace it's not 5 years with Philip Rivers it would be 2 years and uh, the closer we get to free agency the more it seems like there could be some legitimate veteran quarterbacks on the market. And since we know that John Elway loves going that route instead of the draft at quarterback and he has more success there, that's why I just think we need to keep talking about these guys because that's realistically the way John I'd want to go if Drew Locke isn't the guy. Only more success because of Peyton Manning. The success with guys who are further down the list obviously is poor but he because of Joe Flacco and because of Case Keenum but John likes that he's gone to it three different times so that's just that's telling me that this is the route that he would prefer he has got a comfort level hey if you bring Philip Rivers in you can sell him on in his prime or whatever you want to do just like you did with Joe Flacco and I think people would buy Philip Rivers more than they did with Joe Flacco but Mace we keep coming back to this if if Philip River or if Drew Locke isn't the guy, the Broncos may have their quarterback of the future on the team right now. We found out yesterday that we're not going to find out this week. Wait, wait, wait. If Drew Locke is not the guy, you said they may have their quarterback of the future on the team. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Mix my words up. We we don't know <laughs> okay. yet if Drew I'm thinking, Locke... are we back on the Brandon Allen no. magnificent train? That, ab- absolutely not. It was a magnificent game statistically, but Mace. Drew Locke likely not going to be the backup this week. Is that a surprise? Absolutely not. I think, I think, I've thought at least, that Drew Locke was really never going to be the backup. He was going to go from inactive and not even on the 53-man roster to the back or to the starting quarterback. But that's not what concerns me. What we heard from Vic Fangio yesterday. Uh, I believe it was when he was talking to KOA, not with us. 
Here's what Vic Fangio said. We'll just see how he's doing and when we think he's ready to possibly be the backup, and that would be the next step. So, Mace, if I'm putting everything Vic Fangio is saying together. It means that Drew Locke is only going to be the backup when the Broncos come back home to face the Chargers, which is a mistake. It's a massive mistake. Massive mistake. Did I expect Drew Locke to be on the 53-man roster this Sunday? Absolutely not, because you may have the four fans in Buffalo screaming for Drew Locke when Brandon Allen's performing well. They don't want that distraction, so I'm not surprised by that. That's not what bothers me. It's that if Drew Locke truly has to be the backup for even one game, and he's likely not going to be the backup this week, then that means we're just kicking the can down the road and that Drew Locke's first start isn't going to be in two weeks against the Chargers at home. A great, but probably the most ideal place for him to start. It's going to be maybe in Houston, maybe in Kansas City. Maybe they'll just wait until they're home again against the Detroit Lions in week 16, and then we only see two games of him. Yeah, and then you don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. You have only two games, both at home. I, man, I, I... Makes you sigh. Makes you speechless. It makes me dumbstruck. <laughs> Nonplussed. Confounded. What the hell are they doing? It's the question we've been asking since uh, they put him on IR. Either they are overprotective of him... Or there's something they've seen they don't like. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. And you might as well find out either way. What what are we protecting him for if we think he's the guy? And what are we afraid to see now that you're three and seven if you don't think he's the guy? Now, Mace, here's two maybe encouraging things that, that this won't happen is Vic Fangio did say it's a possibility that Drew Locke can be the backup this week, although unlikely, unlikely. but it's a possibility. Unlikely, so he, but possible is what he said. He left the door open, and then on, uh, he also said it's a fluid situation. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they give him the, quote, significant snaps again in practice this week, and that he shows enough to be the backup this week. I didn't think that they were ever going to do that in terms of making him the backup for a game. But boy, if they need him to be the backup before he's a starter, then I want Drew, I need Drew Locke to be the backup this week in Buffalo. Why does he need to be the backup before the starter? He doesn't need he to He doesn't. Be. I mean, that's what they're thinking, but why? Why does why does he need to stand around and hold a clipboard he, in a uniform? What he, difference does that make? He doesn't need to. The, this past game in Minnesota, he was on the sidelines looking over Brandon Allen's shoulder when he and T.C. McCartney, when he and Rich Gangarello were looking at the place. He's, he's, he's doing, doing the everything same a backup thing. would. Yes. yes. Except not wearing the shoulder pads. And I don't need a guy to wear his shoulder pads before he plays. I, I don't need it on game day. I simply don't need it. So I agree. I don't need him to be the backup. But if the Broncos do, number three better have a jersey on Sunday. I don't see what the harm is in giving him a jersey right now. The thing that struck me is that Vic Fangio was asked about whether Drew Locke would have the spot on the 53-man roster that currently belonged to (laughs) Andy Janovich. Yep. And... This was at his press conference yesterday, not in the interview that he had with KOA. And this was his quote 
find it here. Hang on. Not yet. We're probably going to need that spot for other positions. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. Let's talk about the game day and 53-man roster composition, okay? Yep. Andy Janovich is being replaced by Andrew Beck, correct? Yep. He's your fullback. Andrew Beck is already on the roster. Yes. What do you need it for? Of course, it's the same thing here. They could have had Drew Locke practicing back in late October and then brought him on the 53-man roster in the last couple of weeks. But no, you were basically saying it was more valuable to have Jonathan Harris or Calvin Anderson, two guys who have yet to get a jersey. Yep. More valuable to have one of them than to have Drew Locke on the 53. And I'm sorry, that's kind of mind-boggling to me. Because you're talking about a quarterback that you invested a second-round pick in, and you need to start finding out what he is. But you were so hyped about keeping that 53rd spot or keeping the flexibility with injured reserve. I'm sorry. They just... It seemed like on this issue, they can't see the forest for the trees. Yep. They it's can't. disappointing. They're getting the, they're getting the way in themselves because just to make up reasons, it doesn't make sense at all. It's very disappointing, and it just the reasons doesn't make can sense. Be, the, the reasons can be so easily shot down with logic. Right. And that's why I just— I have suspicions. I mean, I can't confirm anything. One thing I do know is that Drew Locke is putting in the work. This is not Paxton Lynch 2.0 in terms of somebody who'd rather play video games and wasn't putting in the extra work. Drew Locke is putting in the extra work. Yep. That's that's just something I've heard from multiple people in the building and people that I trust. So that's not an issue on this one. (sighs) Man. Mace. It's disappointing. It's just... It's disappointing to see this line of thinking continuing to persist. And I hope when we talk to Vic Fangio tomorrow, I got a, I got a question for him about this specifically. I hope we find out that they are a little more open to it. I don't expect groundbreaking news tomorrow in terms of that, but by Thursday or Friday, I really hope that, that the tides have changed because he did leave the window open over that. And Mace, as we disappointingly think about this, There's no better way to do it than with an avalanche ale from the delicious Breckenridge Brewery, which is, of course, the official beer of DNVR. And it's the official beer because we love it so freaking much. As we say all the time, it is damn good beer, and the avalanche ale is perfect, especially now that we got an avalanche coming our way these next few days with some snow coming. It is meant for the cold, and that is perfect. The avalanche hockey team in Colorado, the Colorado Avalanche, are playing, and that's when you know it is Avalanche Ale season. This is such a crisp beer. Man, Breckenridge Brewery really makes the perfect beers for Colorado. They make the perfect beers for every single season, and this is one for right now. So make sure you guys check out the Avalanche Ale, and when you're checking out the Avalanche Ale, sipping on it, also go to thednvr.com and check out the Breckenridge event calendar It is so cool. We have all of the Breckenridge events on there, and you guys need to check it out so that you can go down there uh, to Breckenridge Brewery and check out the Avalanche Ale while they have an awesome event going on. This is such a cool brewery. We love Breckenridge, especially 
the Avalanche Ale. And then after that, make sure you check out the Green Solution, which has 17 Colorado locations and an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. So get on your phone right now. Go to their website, mygreensolution.com, order your flour, concentrates, edibles, and topicals online, and head to the closest Green Solution for pickup. And make sure you use that special code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. That's the special code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase at The Green Solution. All right, Mace, let's hop into the questions. First one coming in from Iceman. Hey, boys, Mace's comment about 2015 helped me to understand what is going on with the Broncos' defense in 2019. Thanks, Mace. Vic Fangio, the D, and Ed Donatel do not believe if they make a late defensive stop that the Broncos' offense or the Bronx special teams will be able to preserve the win. Human nature would beg, why even try? With even a below-average Manning, the D knew they could lead the team to first downs. To victory. Sad face. Go Zoomies. Yeah, Iceman, you, you do wonder what Vic truly is thinking, although the offense got to the four-yard line against the Vikings and just couldn't pull it off. They had three tries, couldn't pull it off, of course. Uh, there was some questionable no-calls there. Um, but also Noah Fant did push off. All right, next one coming in from Mark IT Snatch. Hey, guys, you touched on this earlier about the team blowing leads late. Throughout the last three years, it feels like this team doesn't know how to handle early leads. They don't keep their foot on the gas after getting a lead. Lately, I've been getting a tad more aggressive. They've been getting a tad more aggressive, but the execution is flawed. We saw it Sunday. We saw it against the Chargers despite the win and the Jags. This dates all the way back to game one of 2016 against the Panthers. When they get ahead, the offense stalls, leans on the defense and special teams, and hopes what they've done is enough. What needs to happen for that trend to stop? Like you said, Mark, it's it's more than just this season. And I thought with Vance Joseph, maybe it was a coaching decision that they were just letting off the, their foot off the gas. They didn't want to make any mistakes on offense. And so the defense, uh, it, it was their game to win. But no, it happens with Vic Fangio this year too. I don't know what it is. And that's a coaching thing. And I, I guess they're just relying so much on their defense and they let their foot off the gas, and it makes it for a very close game. Well, it's interesting that the comment noted that it dates all the way back to game one of 2016 against the Panthers. Who's the, who was the quarterback then? Trevor Simeon. Yep. It dates back to not having Peyton Manning as your quarterback. Yep. This is all about not trusting the guy that you have pulling the trigger and leading the offense. Exactly. And as a result... You see more conservative game plans in games when you have a lead. Now, what was interesting on Sunday and also earlier this year, you saw that there were moments when they tried aggression. Late in the first half against the Jaguars, late in the first half against the Vikings, going in for the kill, interception, interception. So when you experience something like that, you've touched the hot stove. Why are you going to do it again? Right, right. Well, and Mace, this, this next comment goes ties directly in from DJC15. In regards to your response to my comment yesterday, yes, I give credit to Skanks for a great first half of plays, but at the end of the day, good first halves don't matter when you lose the game. After the Allen pick, the offense shrank into a shell in the play calling. If you miss the first kill shot, you shouldn't put away the gun. The drill them between the eyes on the second shot. You got to have the confidence and swagger. It's the way I coach my players and the way I play as a receiver in semi-pro football. If one of my players 
players misses a big shot, I tell them next time he gets the chance to take it because he ain't going to miss a second one. Or if I miss it, miss a catch in a game, the next time a ball comes my way, I'm ending a DB's career because I'm about to moss and or embarrass him into next week. It's the same swagger a guy like a certain number three on our team has. You never let a team make you play scared. Will they let number three have that sort of boldness, though? Because ultimately it comes down to the play calling. Now, that being said... They had the interception at the end of the first half. There were some aggressive play calls in the second half. I mean, you saw the deep pass to Tim Patrick on the drive that ended in a field goal. And the end around to Noah Fant on third and one, it's not a smart play call. It is an it is aggressive. It's not conservative because on third and one, you're going for a run that you're hoping could be a 20 or 25-yard explosive type of run there. If they'd gone conservative, in that scenario, up 23-13, you would have sent Royce Freeman up the gut or had Brandon Allen do a quarterback sneak and keep the drive alive. And that would have been the wiser call at that moment. It's interesting. It's kind of a feel and rhythm thing. And I think the problem I have with the Broncos is that they needed to be bold when they were conservative, like the handoff to Devontae Booker on third down mm -hmm. later in the fourth quarter. Right. And they needed to be conservative when they went bold and audacious trying that end around to Noah Fant. They've got their wires mixed. Yeah, it's a feel thing, and it's part of Rich Gangarello in his first year as an NFL offensive coordinator learning on the job. He doesn't appear to have that feel yet. Doesn't mean he can't get there, right. but he's still figuring out, I think, when it's time to drop the hammer and when it's time to pull back. The Rookie Manning mistakes. What? Rookie mistakes. Yep. The Manning face God. Hey, guys, didn't get a chance to comment on the post from Sunday. The biggest and most obvious thing I got out of Sunday's game is that Brandon Allen is not the QB for us. He would make a great backup, but Elway and the coaching staff needs to put in lock. There were a few decent throws by Allen, but there were a lot more bad ones. One that sticks out to me was a long completion that Allen made in the second half to Sutton. Sutton had the DB beat, and all Allen had to do was throw the pass in front of Sutton, but instead Sutton had to literally stop so he can catch the ball because it was thrown behind him. Sutton would have probably taken that to the house if it was thrown better. I know Buffalo was a hostile environment for Drew Locke to start in and for any rookie quarterback, but it needs to happen. The worst thing that can happen is that we'll lose again and continue to get better draft position Thanks, guys. Mace, do you have any argument against that? No. Yeah, of course. We we totally, totally, totally agree. And you'll enjoy our, our first segment, I'm sure. And the Manny Face God has another question. He says, hey, guys, sorry, I have another quick question. Is there any validity to Lock and Forrest's story about Fangio and the players having a rift? This is obviously becoming a distraction since players like Vaughn and Chris Harris Jr. had to address it after the game. And again, Fangio was asked about it today. It seems like this has been a story all season, starting with Vaughn not getting along with Fangio and now this. My guys at DNVR would definitely know. Well, Thanks, guys. Every team that struggles has people who are upset with how it's being run, upset with their roles, etc. So you could write this sort of piece about literally any 3-7, and 3-8 type team in November. It's just something that comes with the territory. It's also not uncommon for right. even good head coaches to have players that do not like them or coaches on their staff that do not like them. You think Bill Belichick is loved by everyone he comes in contact to in New England? Ab absolutely not. I do think, based on just taking the temperature of things earlier in the season, that there were guys who were not happy because Vic Fangio... He's not someone who 
throws out a lot of superfluous plays. Praise, right? He's do you were you a Simpsons fan, Zach? Mm, didn't watch many. Much okay, of it. all right. You wouldn't be familiar with this, but some listeners might. There was an episode where there was a self help guru who came to Springfield and was very positive and encouraged everybody to do what you feel. That's not Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio is not Brad Goodman, the do what you feel guru. He's not Mr. Positive Positivity right. at times. Right. He is the parent who, when you br- bring home a report card that has all A's and one B, is going to say, "What's with the B?" Right. That's just his style. Right. And I think it took some time for players to get accustomed to that, especially on the defensive side, where it's been the side of the football that's been carrying the team. But now you've had. A moment, obviously, the second half of Minnesota goes against this, but you had about five and a half games where the defense was playing out of this world football. So the defensive players are understanding, hey, this may be rough, but we get it now. It works. The system works. What he's telling us is working. The interesting thing, frankly, is the notion that he's critical of the calls on offense. And Yikes. Again, we've discussed it here. You read between the lines of some of the things he says at press conferences about the offense, and you look at the teams that he's been around over the last decade and the style of offenses that he's had, and I think it's fair to wonder, is Vic Fangio really on board with this style of offense? Right. I think that's a valid question. And I don't think you're going to get the answer publicly from him on this simply because he's going to play his cards close to the vest on that one. And on top of that, Mace, don't forget, he is a experienced play caller on the defensive side. He's dealing with Rich Gangrello, who's calling his first plays in the NFL. And he's been scheming against these offenses for decades. So he's viewing it from a defensive prism, and if he sees a call he's going to say, okay, well, this is how I would react to it. That's kind of the way you think when you're a defensive play caller coaching the offense. One reason why defensive coaches have success as NFL head coaches is that they're problem solvers because they're looking at what the offense is doing and they're figuring out a a remedy to that. Just a thought. Next one coming in from Mile High Hitman. Watching Thursday's game, I had a question regarding good position coaching. The Steelers' offensive line was great with Munchak and now looks piss poor without him. No, it's a bit of both, but how much of the Munchak effect do you think is what he brings that season in getting the line to play as one unit versus improving the players long-term regardless of if he stays or not? Secondly, how much do you... How much say do you think Munchak will get in free agency in the draft? Thanks for making a 3-7 and seven season fun, fellas. I think when it comes to the offensive line, he's going to get a tremendous amount of say. I think so, too. Why would you bring him in and not give him a tremendous amount of say? Even if you're John Elway, I think he gets a big say. Yeah, and with Munchak, the answer may not be obvious. It may be that there are guys he really likes and can work with that he can get down the line in the draft. Remember, Villanueva was undrafted had been cut by the Eagles, a converted tight end. Yep. And they brought him in and developed him. That's why I'm fascinated to see as they get into the offseason and make this plan for the offensive line, how much of it is free agency, how much of it is the draft. Because 
let's say you choose to go free agent at left tackle. Let's say you look at a Costanzo or a Kelvin Beecham as a one to two year type of band-aid solution. Then you're working on developing a left tackle of the future. And that may be somebody you're getting from later in the draft or even the undrafted realm, kind of like Villanueva, also sort of like Matt Lepsis in this scheme back in the late 1990s, a converted tight end from CU who became a right tackle and then eventually started at left tackle. It could be something where they're playing the long game at the position while finding a short-term fix. Or they may simply say, we can ride Garrett Bowles for one more year. I know most of Broncos country does not want to hear that, but then ride Bowles for one more year and then begin developing a left tackle who would take the reins in 2021. These are all possibilities that are in play. Lots of possibilities. Next one from True Champ Fan 24 Just missed the cutoff. Like my comment from another day ago. Doubt y'all get this far, but if you do, one quick thought. Can we please get Sutton a freaking competent quarterback and offensive coordinator? Dude has talent to Mike Thomas, and of course he is wasting away in his offense. Now, from my full 24-hour decompress, I'd like to see a tackle, of course, taken in the first round for this team. However, my next pick would be T. Higgins from Clemson. I think the guy's being overshadowed and can slip to the second in a heavy wide receiver class. The interesting thing, I mean, he's a guy who's got some speed, 6'4", 215, bigger guy. I'm not sure that he fits the type of receiver that you want because if Tim Patrick develops, you've got two longer, bigger guys. I think you're looking more for smaller, pure speed than someone like T. Higgins has. I I like him as well. I just don't think he fits that room because you kind of already have that skill set, especially if Tim Patrick keeps developing. I want kind of the smaller, fleeter, quicker guy who's going to operate from the slot. That's something that I think is going to come into play as we talk about the needs at wide receiver is what type of receiver actually fits this team best. Jake Chris, what do you think about having a game in Mexico City? The field was trash, and last year it was so trash they canceled the dang thing. I think... These people need to get their stuff together before somebody blows out a knee in a hole. I'm only halfway through the second quarter in case it did happen. You had clumps of turf coming up throughout the game. Even it wasn't the cleats. You had a guy, you know, somebody hit uh, the field on their elbow and you had clumps of grass come up. So it's something they've got to remedy if they're going to sustain this long term. I think the NFL wants to continue playing games in Mexico City. Frankly, as this 17th game idea gets momentum I think you're going to see more games in Mexico than you've seen I think uh, you may see Guadalajara and Monterrey coming into play at some point but their Mexico strategy I think will always include a game in Mexico City for now it has to be at the Azteca because it's the best facility by far but if they want to keep playing games there I wonder if the league may put some pressure on Mexico City to either get a turf field in there, at least for the game. And that would be something really interesting because you don't really want turf for soccer. You'd rather have grass. Or if you start developing maybe another facility that has a turf field, similar to how Tottenham Hotspur in London has the field they can roll in and then roll over the soccer pitch. Because remember... In the early days of games at Wembley Stadium, back in 07 to 2010, there were similar turf problems. 
Mace, this just coming down the line right here. I just confirmed that that valuable Broncos roster spot that they can't use for Drew Locke is instead going to Orson Charles. Of course, the tight end and fullback. You can't have Drew Locke on the roster when you can have Orson Charles. Oh, man. <laughs> Guess they don't believe in Andrew Beck, huh? Uh, yeah, but no, they could have cut Andrew Beck and brought in Orson Charles. Instead, they want two fullback tight ends. Okay. <laughs> so that was, uh, oh, you're up next. You Orson got our, we, we Charles. We got our friend. Oh, man. So there you go. Yeah, this, one, this next one's a face palm for me. Count Locula. Pretty sure Zach said Somalier pirate yesterday instead of Somali pirate. This would be the greatest of jobs of all time. I love being immortal and all, but I'd take a wine-drinking life on the open seas over anything. I could have a corkscrew hand. And Mace, with your past affiliation with the Buccaneers, I think we should team up and draft Zach and maybe RK into our Oneological Armada. What do you say? We could drink... wine like it was water. Colorado water. Love the count. I like that. I like that life. Yeah, the count. I don't I don't know if that was a mistake by me. I think I meant Sommier Pirate. Wouldn't that be fun? Just like you detailed. I was just detailing the fun life for a count. Oh goodness gracious. Next one coming in from Minnesota Paul. Boys, I have lots to say after that game, so I'll keep my questions and comments as short as possible and stretch my thoughts across multiple pods this week. We appreciate that, Minnesota Paul. Episode one. I would like to echo the thoughts of most of the community. Oh, just uh got a new comment, so push me down. Episode one. I would like to echo the thoughts of most of the community members so far. The game was encouraging to me, even if we blew it. That's a very good Vikings team, and we had an intense game down to the final play. I was lucky enough to be sitting in the end zone the Broncos were throwing to. It was awesome. That's awesome you were there. Brandon Allen was statistically bad, but we still saw offensive production from the team as a whole. It just shows how the play style of the Flacosaurus is extinct, and Skangs didn't have much to work with. It's time for a modern quarterback with real feet, not cement feet, to take over. Unfortunately, it's not Brandon Allen, but I'll take him as our backup. I think we all, I think we all agree with that, right, Mace? Yeah, I think Flacco's done. Seriously, the Broncos let him go, and that is a near certainty. Who signs him? Does he want to be a backup? Will he take a backup role for the next five years, making six, seven million dollars a year? Yeah. So basically, it would take him three or four years to earn what he made in the past year. Yep. But it's, I mean, he's like we said, he's almost at a basketball team, right? <laughs> he's got a Super Bowl ring. If I'm him. Oh, I agree. I'm, I'm moving on. I'm like, I'm done. It. I'm, I'm done. retiring, moving wherever I want and living the life I want for the rest of my life. Yeah, I just, I can't say it. I think there's a good chance we've seen the last of Joe Flacco yep. as an NFL quarterback. World of Suck. Did a little fun research today. So I looked up Cam Newton's combine stats to compare to Noah Fant. They have nearly identical bodies, height, weight, arm length, and hand size. The two perform similarly at their respective combines, but one of those two guys just runs a bit faster, turns corners a little quicker, and jumps a tad higher. That guy is Noah Fant. I knew Fant was athletic, but I couldn't believe it. In his younger days, Cam was considered to be a world-class athlete. When LeBron had that historic block from behind on Iguodala's layup in the NBA Finals a few years ago, there were folks saying Cam Newton is the only other human in the world that might have been physically capable of making that play. And Noah Fant measures as a better athlete than Cam. Wow, obviously there's a lot for Fant to do to really develop, but I just had to share that. 
on another note, is the guy that organized the World Tour fun- GoFundMe, a full-time employee at DNVR now. A little yes. bit of brown nosing is all it takes to get hired at DNVR these days. By the way, have I ever mentioned how great you all are? Dinner on me anytime you want. Thank you, World of Suck. Interesting comp with Cam Newton there. Yes. And I was thinking about something with Noah Fant as the game went on. First of all, remember on Brandon Allen's run for the first down in the final minute, Noah Fant was out in front blocking, and then he released. Yep. I can't blame him for doing that because he's had some holding calls. Right. So you hold that too long, they're going to whistle you. Right. So I actually understand exactly why Noah Fant released, and you know that allowed a tackle to be made right there, but Brandon Allen did have the first down. You'd rather have the first down than have yet another holding call downfield. I understand where Noah Fant was coming from. Secondly, if you have an athlete like this, why are you using him in pass pro? Why? I have no idea. I got no answer for you, Mace. I don't want to see him against an edge rusher. Nope. The best way that Noah Fant can help against a pass rush like that is to run a route into the flat and then get him the ball over the head of the oncoming rusher to provide that option and then see what he can do in space. That's a better way for Noah Fant to counter an opposing pass rush than by staying in and being involved in pass pro. Okay? And, yep. So just stop it. Hey, now you have Horace from Charles. Maybe you can use Horace and Charles to block. <laughs> there you go. And Mace, when I was reading this, it really reminded me of Von Miller and Derrick Henry, how those two guys have nearly the exact same numbers and play two completely different positions. And you know what all four of these guys are throwing, Cam and uh, Noah Fant in here? They're all fantastic, fantastic athletes. Um, and Mace, I promise this is we're, we're almost approaching the last time that we're going to ask you guys to help us in our competition. We're approaching the finish line, and that's why we need you guys the most right now. Of course, the DNVR challenge that we have going on, seeing which beat can can get the most members to join our family and we need your help. How do you help us? Well, use the code Zach, Z-A-C, Mace, M-A-S-E, or code R-K when you become a part of our family. Just please do it in the next couple days. And what do you get? Well, you get to join our family. You get to exclusively have your comments right on this pod. You get all of the inside coverage that we provide for every single sport. And you get to uh, a choice of your shirt. And on top of that, you really, truly are supporting us. This podcast is free, but we would really support. We would really appreciate your support to help us keep doing this on a daily basis and help us provide the best Denver and Colorado sports um, sports content out there because we are locally owned journalism. Exactly. Use the code Mace. You can use Zach if you want. That's fine. <laughs> but if you joined us say from the old radio station that I was at and uh, you enjoy this podcast and you want to become a member, use the code MACE. Or Zach. Z-A-C. (laughs) Zach has fewer letters. Ryan Konigsberg, RK, that's the fewest letters of all for that code. But also locally owned journalism, it's big because, you know, there is competition in this market and they're owned by a hedge fund, a vulture capital fund. Mm Mm-hmm. Heartless, cruel, cold, not interested in the product. We're all in. We're locally owned. We're employee owned. Yep, exactly. We're all in on this. We are Denver, as we like to say, one of our slogans. So 
support us, if you will. So we'd really appreciate your support. Thank you guys so much for rolling with us. And May, speaking of the people, let's hear from them on the other side of this break. Do you like watching the Olympics? Have you ever thought of becoming an Olympian yourself? Well, USA Weightlifting provides athletes with an opportunity to continue their athletic career following retirement from football. Their transitional athlete program offers a route to becoming an Olympian. Don't take it from me though. Listen to Daniel, who's been training with USA Weightlifting and says it was the perfect way to get started in the sport. I would totally advise uh, somebody to do this transitional athlete program uh, it, it's almost like a rubric for them to go off of instead of just kind of learning and uh, just trying to start somewhere and not know who to talk to or where to start. Going into it, it's definitely uh, something that if you've never looked at it before, never looked at Olympic lifting or anything, it's very kind of makes you feel nervous going into it. Definitely go into it full-fledged if I, if I did again, even if I knew nothing about it. So, uh, you know, anybody that's kind of timid about getting started or looking at this, definitely dive into it. It's something you might fall in love with always wanted to like represent you know the country in some way or another so this is like the steps and starting that it's just you know honor something that i've been looking at since i was young to try out register at www.usawrecruiting.com today and maybe you'll be their next 2024 olympian welcome back to the dnvr broncos podcast i'm your host zach stevens joined by my man andrew mason of course presented by strava craft coffee let's jump right back into the questions mace next one coming in from vrt Ho? H-O? V-R-T-H-O. V-R-T-H-O. Or V-R-T. Ho. Hey, guys. Love listening to the pod. I'll be coming to Denver for the Chargers game and hope to see Locke starting. We do as well. That would be something special to remember if he ends up being a franchise guy. With that being said, I'm wondering if you guys have any recommendations on restaurants and other things to do while visiting the area. I already have Breckenridge Brewery and Red Rocks, among other things, on the schedule, but would love local suggestions. Thanks for all the great coverage. Well, Blake Street Tavern. Yep. One of our partners at DNVR is always a good spot. Yep. Uh, sports Calm's a good old school type of sports bar mm-hmm. right there um, in Lodo. Yep. My Brother's Bar. Oh, good burgers. Ooh, my if favorite. you are going for a fancy meal Ooh. and you like sushi, Ooh. Sushi Den, not too far from my house, is a place that I always go and uh, make a point of taking out-of-town guests to impress them a little bit. That's it an is, outstanding it is spot. hands down the locals' favorite sushi place. In it is a world-class sushi restaurant. Yep. yep. Also, when you're around there, check out Wash Park. Uh, it's an awesome park, but may, both Mason and I live close to it. And you might see it a us lot. in Wash Park. <laughs> exactly. Actually. Uh, when you're around there, check out Cherry Creek area. Uh, it's a nice place to walk around. So that'll that, that'll give you uh, some things to do when you're in Denver. From Meek Chow. We'll always love Brandon McManus for what he did in the 2015 playoffs, but his time is running out. Okay. Do you agree, Mace? Is his time running out? No. Mm. You don't want to go into that realm that a lot of teams exist in. You don't want to be the Bears cycling through kickers. I used this stat yesterday on Twitter because people are upset with that missed kick. Since 2016, Brandon McManus has hit 90% of his close and late kicks from inside of 50. So like in the fourth quarter? Games where it's either within a touchdown or he has a kick to pull the Broncos back within a touchdown. Mesa, 18 of 20. What I can say about that is you just killed us with facts. Yeah. Now, beyond 50, he's missed them all, including a 62-yarder. That ill-advised, stupid 62-yard <laughs> attempt against Kansas City back in 2016. because It was terrible. Oh, we're going for the win. 
No. Who do we blame for that? Gary Kubiak. Mm. It was his call. Yep. That was a Coop's call. But there is this stupid-ass notion <laughs> in pro football that, oh, we got to go for the win. Like, a tie doesn't matter. A tie doesn't help you. We saw it again with the 49ers and Seahawks last week. San Francisco, tie game, late in overtime. Throw, throw, throw. Stops the clock. Gives Seattle a chance to come back and beat you. Yep. Indianapolis last year. Lost, ended up losing home field advantage for round one. It didn't matter. They ended up beating the Texans, but still lost a chance for a playoff home game because they decided late in overtime to go with the balls over brains call of going for it. The notion that a tie doesn't have value is farcical. Sometimes yeah. you have to say, okay, it's we don't want to run the risk of losing the game. A tie can actually help us. Let's just take the tie, not run an extreme risk of defeat and get out of here. And unfortunately, the Broncos made the opposite decision in 2016 and at that turn what should have been at worst a tie into a defeat. Yep, exactly. Anyway, I hate that. I'm going off on it, but I hate the again, it's balls over brains. We see too much of that in football. It's true. Mace, we got 15 minutes for 15 questions. Let's see if we no, can do it. We're not. <laughs> Next one coming in from Compose25. Hashtag unlock Drew. I know Ryan's trying to do the free Drew Lock hashtag Unlocked is better. That's better. Love Thunder Down Under. <laughs> On the topic of apathy. Yes, I feel apathetic, but to be clear, I feel apathetic about 2019. I'm not apathetic about the future, but there's a problem with the sample of data you're going to collect. It might be hard to find genuine apathy from anyone here who comments and listens daily. Do you know what good data you have? You're listing numbers on the pod. Are you noticing anything there? Mind you, given the quality of this damn good pod, I'm sure your numbers are rising in spite of the season. Perhaps DNVR is the cure-all for Broncos apathy. Man, we love you guys because we know that you guys are the diehards. You're riding through the thick and the thin. That's why you're the best fans out there. Love Thunder Down Under follows up. Leaky Boat Syndrome, LBS. I suffer from IBS, Irritable Bowls <laughs> Syndrome. Yep, I just can't hold it in. He really gives me the... Bleep. Oh my goodness, that was uh, pretty pointed, pretty good. <laughs> of course, now here on the other side, talking about Bowles from Dan Burke. One, Mace, I'm glad you pointed out that Bowles had a great day in pass protection. Zero pressures allowed to those edge rushers is impressive. I don't think he should be the starter beyond this year, but I think he'd be a great swing tackle option. Plenty of starter experience has been healthy for his time here, and the demotion to a reserve role might allow him to work on his technique in a less high-pressure environment. Dan Fair Burke, uh, Garrett Bowles' burner account. Yeah. <laughs> Number two, as much as people want to hate on Elway as a GM, and a lot of it is warranted, I'm glad that people are starting to turn their attention to how poor of a job reigning executive of the year to shake my head Ryan Pace has done in Chicago. By the way, executive of the year has some real winners that have earned that award. Remember <laughs> Ryan Grigson <laughs> getting it? Yeah, you, you drafted Andrew Luck. Good for you. <laughs> Everyone would have done that. Not only did the Bears trade up for Trubisky, they took him over Mahomes and Watson. Then they spent two second-round picks on Anthony Miller, who has been a huge disappointment. I remember Bears telling me that Miller was better than Sutton that year. LOL. Admittedly, I liked Anthony Miller as well. So that's been a surprise, and, and and that has been a disappointment for them. Then the Cleo Mack trade. Mack is a fantastic player, but teams are doubling and tripling him and rendering him ineffective. He did not record a single stat, no pressures, no tackles, nothing against the Rams last week. The Bears are going to miss out on a potential top 10 pick because they went all in. Plus, they have very little in cap space, very little in draft capital, and now they have... To 
no starting QB. Not to mention they can't find a kicker to save their lives. A cautionary tale to Broncos <laughs> fans when they want to move on from McManus. Man, straight from your brain to mine. We are right there. So it could definitely be worse for us Broncos fans. Elway's made a ton of mistakes, but the Broncos are in a better position moving forward. Even if Locke is not the guy, at least the Broncos have a first-round pick to take one this year. Dan Burke, it's a really good point. The Broncos are at least trending up. Looking, it, it, They're in a bad spot, but they're trending up. There's other teams like the Bears that are in a bad spot right now, and they're trending down. Next one coming in from Nihalo. At this point, it's apathy. Maybe once Locke starts, that'll change. Maybe next season that'll change. But right now, it's apathy. Yeah. And that's why we will see Drew Locke. Is it ignorance or apathy? Don't know. Don't care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Litvaksky. I wanted to start off saying that I'm actually happy with the results on Sunday. We were competitive, and as y'all said, we dominated them in the first half. The fact that we lost just means better draft capital. I would be okay if we were competitive the rest of the season and lost most of the remaining games. I would. I was worried when Reisner went out, but did y'all get to see much from Schlotman when he filled in? Would they call back Team Nonek with Jano out? Team pa- Tim Patrick looks solid, and as a rotational receiver, I feel all right with him next year. Where would you, your sweet spot in draft picks be next year? Pick 10 because you win a few. Pick 3 because we keep losing. Thanks as always. Litvaksky. Schlotman had one play. <laughs> You're right. Uh, <laughs> grade incomplete. Wasn't it the Andy Janovich touchdown? It was. Yep, and that was Jano. Oh, all, that was all Jano. All Jano. <laughs> anyway. uh, so we're not going to see but no neck to replace Jano, unfortunately. No, the sweet spot, right where they are right now, 7-8. Yeah, yeah, sure. That means you win a couple more games. Yep. But you're good enough to get a left tackle next year. Yeah. Next one coming in from Junior Pancake. Hey, fellas. So I would like to start by saying I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. But I'm both. Sunday during the Broncos game, I had to take a phone call at the start of the fourth quarter. Never doing that again. Unfortunately, it ran a little long. Dog has decided he now likes chewing on the blinds. So it was time to consult a trainer. When I left, the score was a beautiful 23-7 Broncos. By the time I returned, the score read 27-23 with six minutes left. I was at a loss for words. My girlfriend, a diehard Patriots fan, said, I thought you wanted them to lose so they could get a better draft pick. In theory, yes, I do. We are not going to the playoffs this year, so getting a higher draft pick and hopefully leading to an early Drew Sember by blowing a lead like that in the fourth just feels like it does more bad than good for a team. I'm not sure how much y'all have been able to talk to the players and coaches after, but what is the vibe around the locker room and organization following a loss like that? Appreciate all you guys do. Best part of my workday. That means so much. Mm -hmm. Also, someone go check on AJ. Was listening to the Avs podcast this morning, and he sounded very under the weather. I was actually surprised at how upbeat the locker room was after the game. Hmm. And honestly, that disappointed me a bit. Ah, I wanted guys to be a bit more angry and pissed. Feel it. Yes. You want them to feel it deep. It, it seemed just like, uh, you know, we lost, but we're going in the right direction. I, I, I didn't like that. I really did not like that. Vic Fangio kind of echoed, echoed a similar sentiment yesterday when asked about, you know, how, how it was a close game. Do you encourage your guys? And he said, all of our guys know how close of a game it was. It's like, in terms of Vic Fangio, and of course he was spinning the positive, but it's like he treated it as, oh, we came four points short of beating a good team And we blew a 20 to nothing lead. I, right. Honestly. It's like they're forgetting that part. I, I thought they'd be pissed. Yeah. And I didn't see that. And is that because they're three and seven? 
probably. You think if they're seven and three, then three they and been seven pissed. coming off of back to back losing seasons. I right. think uh, the losing culture exactly. sunk in. Yeah, there's apathy there. Yep. Joe Turner, 96. Hey, guys. Firstly, I have to say, it's almost impressive how the Broncos scored 20 points in the first half and still failed to score more than 24 <laughs> points. Kind of sums up the season we're having. Anyway, what do you project as Cortland Sutton's ceiling in comparison to other NFL receivers? I've seen people say he could reach Keenan Allen's level. However, I think he has the potential to be higher than that. I, I am do. so sick of Keenan Allen just as a player, as a person. And I think the ceiling is higher. I'm thinking Michael Thomas. I think the ceiling is higher than Keenan Allen. Michael Thomas, Mace, this, I'm sure you know this stat. This stat is mind-blowing. Michael Thomas has more receptions than two entire teams right now. Yep. That is, doesn't he have 97 receptions? Yeah, it's, it's where It's where Cortland Sutton can go if he keeps adding branches on the route tree. The big step forward for him this year is that he became more than just the nine ball guy. And I think he can, can, can continue adding to that. When was Michael Thomas picked? In the draft? Yeah. Was he second round? Was he first? No, I think he was first round. I don't think he was a top guy, though, in the draft. Michael Thomas... Was drafted 47th overall. 47th, second round guy. Yep. There it is. There it is. So, yep, absolutely. There and you that, go. And again, wide receiver, it's deep in this year's class. Right. I know there are some people saying, oh, get Jerry Judy, yes. Henry Ruggs, C.D. Lamb. There's going to be talent there to be had on day two. Right. Yes, And you have be. bigger things to check off the list on day one. Exactly. Pig Tosses 66 comes in and says, you guys talked about fan apathy and with another losing season with double digit losses on the way, why get it? wouldn't Drew lock on the field for the next home game against the Chargers be the organization's only guaranteed defense against it locking down that stretch? Yes. The decision to play lock starting week 13 is not only the best football decision, but also the best business decision. It's a no brainer. And if he doesn't happen, and if it doesn't happen, then we all better choose which country in the world world of suck we want to call home because we will be living there for a long time now a few weeks ago i asked a couple of season ticket holders if they would be going to the game against the chargers and they said if drew lock isn't starting by then i'm thinking about not going oh damning damning and yes i believe it is more than a football decision at this point i do too i think joe ellis is involved chris loves co hi guys i missed the deadline to get this comment in yesterday trying again today I'm a longtime listener, subscriber, first-time commenter. Welcome. Thank you and Love welcome. You, Chris. Did anyone else feel like Chris Harris Jr. just gave up on the long touchdown play to Diggs? In the replay especially, it looked like he had the opportunity to at least try to dive and tackle Diggs on about the five-yard line, but instead just pulled up and quit. Not a good look. I Diggs did get more separation near the end of that route. It didn't look like Chris was that far off until Diggs caught the ball. At the same time, if you can't catch the guy, I think the superfluous dive is just for show. I think Chris knew what was going to happen right. regardless. Yeah, and I think he knew the play was lost when Kareem Jackson didn't rotate over. You can see him looking for the safety help that he expected and it not being there. It so. is incredible how Chris is just never wrong. <laughs> Next one coming in from Z Christensen. Gents, Justin, Grandpa doesn't relate to his grandchildren. Vic Fangio doesn't give enough hugs. This is the biggest crock of millennial BS I've ever seen. Does Bill Belichick relate coddle to his players and coaches? Was Vince Lombardi or Chuck Knoll a player's coach? The answer is no. They were and are disciplinaries. Don't even get me started on great leaders through history. If 
and I doubt it due to Wolf, Vaughn, Reisner, and Harris' comments, the Broncos have a problem with being held accountable. Cheers to Vic for a long overdue culture adjustment, no matter how many hurt feelings reports are submitted. Lock and four is a joke. Vic never changed. Now for a question. Despite our knack for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, how differently would we all be looking at this game if we lost in a knockdown, drag-out slugfest? I would have said a 27-23 loss where we blew two red zone opportunities in the second half would be a good showing for our depleted roster. How can we keep up in the fourth without a second string? Broncos country, don't give up on this coaching staff yet. Cheers, ZC. Well, I'll say this for some of the other coaches. You can get away with more once you've established that your style works. And as McCaffrey right. Attic suggests in the follow-up comment, coaches like Lombardi and Nobly drinking water was weakness. That's outdated tough guy BS. No, I think I'll take a coach that understands today's game, today's players, and today's science. Not saying that isn't Vic, but 1960s coaching isn't the answer. Look, if Vince Lombardi and Chuck Knoll were in today's era, they would not be sitting there and saying that drinking water was weakness. Okay? <laughs> right, Again, right. I think Bill Belichick might have been back in those days. At some point, you're also a product of your era. But there are certain things that you can carry forward, certain things that do kind of persist over the times. One thing that I think that those coaches had was they had tactical flexibility. Don Shula, the same thing. And Bill Belichick has that. we got to find out if Vic Fangio has it. Exactly. Next one from Elroy Jetson. Hi, guys. I have to say it's hard for me to catch games living in Kentucky. When I can, I do detru- I do try, but I find myself not trying to watch, but only sort of follow along on a poorly designed live tracker sports news app. I wonder if and what it would take for you guys to have a tracker for just the teams covered here. I'm sure it would be better than the rest. My father-in-law is trying to convince me that Elway is trying to devalue the Broncos with his poor decisions so he can get them to a price he can afford to get a group together and purchase the team. Can you talk me down, please? I also wanted to say that I am now an assistant coach for my daughter's school's archery team. Wish me luck as we try to repeat last year's results and get back to state and nationals. Cheers, gents, and a nice Breck Brew Christmas ale to you all. Ah, Elroy, that is awesome. Congratulations. I'm sure you're going to kill it. You got to keep us updated. Congratulations. And by the way, I think your father-in-law, that's a tinfoil hat (laughs) thing. No. Not in the least. No, because instead of, even if you're bad, prices don't go down on teams. They only go up. Yeah, and you're not going to affect the value uh, by losing a few games because that's based around longer-term factors. It's based around the stadium Etc. So no, no. Elroy Jetson also commented and said, "Almost forgot when we hit the field goal to get 23 points. I immediately told my family we just lost because you know we can't break 24, so we won't score again." And the Vikes were going off too easily. Wow, <laughs> McCaffrey an addict. I am sick of hearing this nonsense that losing is good because of draft position. It's simply not true. I spent the better part of this morning looking at the first round draft position of every NFL team for the last five years. And spoiler alert: the teams that have been drafting the top 10 for the last five years still suck. I excluded the Rams, Chiefs, and Seahawks because they each haven't had three first-round picks in the last five years, but don't worry. They wouldn't have helped your high draft position equal success argument anyways. Teams with the highest average draft picks, Bears 8.0, Jaguars 8.5, Browns 8.7, Bucks 9.2, Jets 9.3. These teams are all in the bottom 20 of the current ESPN power ranking. Why? They've been losing a lot just like all you guys want, but their amazing draft picks aren't making their teams not suck. The top five, Patriots, Ravens, 49ers, Seahawks and Packers have a combined average first round pick of 22.5 and the 49ers are actually 
pulling that down is the anomaly with an 11.3 average. Yes, I'm all aware they have franchise quarterbacks, but guess what? <laughs> None of those quarterbacks were drafted top 20. Higher draft position does not equal future success and may even lead to the opposite. Maybe it's a winning culture that Ryan, like Ryan, that Ryan talks about. Maybe it's something else, but stop acting like losing is a win. It's a loss. Where'd the Rams pick Jared Goff? Not that he's one. playing well. Number one. Where'd they pick Todd Gurley? In the top 10. And Aaron Donald was also top 10 as well? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's look, it's how you use the draft picks. Patrick Mahomes was number 10 overall, right? Because the Chiefs traded up yep. to get that selection, gave up a lot of draft capital. They could afford to do that because they'd crossed a lot of needs off the shopping list in rebuilding the team in other areas. So they could afford to sacrifice draft picks to move up and get Patrick Mahomes. The Seahawks... Hey, they got the unicorn and Russell Wilson round three. Yeah. The, the Broncos could have had him, but decided they'd rather have the tall guy, Brock Osweiler. These these teams are bad because, because they're bad. Not because, I mean. It, and also think about this. It's missing on the quarterback. Right. Chicago appears to have missed on Mitchell Trubisky. The Jaguars missed on Blake Bortles. The Browns, Baker Mayfield, he's finding his way jury is out but think about what they missed on they actually missed on mid first round type of quarterbacks remember they missed on Brandon Whedon they missed on Johnny Manziel and those guys weren't high picks they were in that kind of 15 to 32 range where the success of draft quarterbacks really falls off and gets kind of into the second round realm as well the Bucks missed on Jameis Winston yep and the, Jet, ha- the Jets thought they could develop Geno Smith as a second-round pick, right. but he believes the earth might be flat. So. <laughs> and to get to your, your bigger point, McCaffrey, addict, yes, you still have to hit in the draft. You have to hit in the draft, but you can't tell me that getting, getting a higher spot doesn't help you at least do that. You can still mess it up, absolutely. It helps you if you do something with it. Right. Look, the Broncos had the number two overall pick back in 2011. That right. sure as hell helped them. It gave them a potential Hall of Fame player. Right, exactly. And final one here coming in from Dreadhead Broncos fan. What's going on, guys? I haven't commented in a while. I've been busy working a lot. You guys know how that goes, but I just have two draft-related questions. If we let Strap walk, how would you guys feel about drafting Jeffrey Okuda? And with Tua's injury, and not even if I feel like he will drop, how do we pass on the opportunity to draft him? Me, personally, I would love, love, love Jeffrey. And if Tua falls to us, I'd be screaming from the top of Woodman Tower in Omaha to draft Tua. Not on the draft quarterback train, but Tua? How can you pass on that kid? You can't. No, you can't. I couldn't, but any who let me, but I couldn't, but any who let me end this comment since it's already long enough. Peace and much love to you all and go Broncos. Never lose hope, guys. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Have faith, ladies and gentlemen. I love you guys and we love you right back. Yeah, Jeffrey Okuda would be a good fit if you have a need, but the problem with letting Chris Harris Jr. go is that you created a need that you didn't have before. Right. And is he ready to be a cornerback one right away? That's tough. One last comment in Ooh, under the beating. wire from Ooh Benny Lava. Hey, fam, just a quick question. Any chance of us signing Antonio Callaway after his release from the Browns? He has good upside and is a type of receiver that would play a nice complimentary role to, to, Sush, to Sutton. He may not be worth the off-field issues, though. Thoughts? No, no. no. Too many off-field issues going back to Florida. He's got a substance abuse problem, clearly, with multiple positive tests. Uh do not want, move on, 
can't rely on him. Antonio Callaway shouldn't be on your radar. Couldn't agree more with you, Mason. Mace, I couldn't agree with more with you today. I loved rolling with you today. Have a fantastic Tuesday, guys. Thank you all so much for rolling with us today. We will be back with you tomorrow. Make sure you stay tuned to thednvr.com. Mason and I are headed down to Dove Valley today to talk to players. Have a fantastic Tuesday. Thank you guys all for the love and support. We love you right back. Have a great Tuesday. But before we get out of here, I got to tell you about Denver Rubber Company one more time because we absolutely love it. And it may not be what you think it is. Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. And guess what? Snow is coming, and we've already had a taste of it. You'll need Denver Rubber Company when it comes to anything snow plows. DRC can cut to size and pre-slot most snow plow rubber. The blades can be cut to any length and slotted for mounting to meet your exact specifications. We went and checked out their warehouse a few weeks back, and it was nothing short of amazing. These guys have created proprietary materials that make up the inside of wind turbine blades, and we even witnessed machines that can cut material that are used in bulletproof vests. Remember, Denver Rubber Company custom makes it all, and you can purchase products for yourself and, of course, buy bulk at a fantastic rate. They're a family-owned business with loyalty only to the people, just like us here at DNVR. Be sure to call them today for any snowplow needs, custom gaskets, hoses, etc. at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them today at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and make sure you tell them who sent you. That'll do it for us today. Thank you guys for rolling with us.